the Holy Spirit promised. Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open it. And we're going to read it off the screen here today. There are many passages of Scripture, cross-references. We have all these, or most of these, printed out in your, in your sermon outline for the day. I hope you grabbed a bulletin. We don't have any giveaways on the back of the bulletin. Sorry about that. But we do have a very lengthy outline. I want you to be able to walk through these four points as we exegete this text. And as this text exegetes us and reveals to us our needs, all of us are very needy people. Uh, we need God. We need one another. And so what a blessing, what a privilege it is to preach the Word of God. If you're a guest today, we really are glad that you're here. My name's Danny Forshe. I was counting up the years. Somebody asked me yesterday, how long you been here? I said, well, I'm going on nine years. So we are a pastor here for almost nine years. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's really cool, this gift. Somebody took it. I don't know where it went, but I, I like that. I... Uh, I have to, have to wear that. Um, but we're studying the book of Acts, and I had, a, had somebody contact me, and they said, well, you know, you've preached uh, three verses in two weeks. There are 1,006 verses in the book of Acts. At this rate, Pastor, you will finish the book of Acts in 12.8 years. And so... My friend, my mathematician, I will share with you today we're going to study five verses. That messes up your mathematics, doesn't it? It changes your arithmetic. So we're going to look at five verses and, of course, that apex, pinnacle verse, uh, if not in all the Word of God, is Acts 1.8. And so we're going to read together. We're going to look at the Word. We're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit today. You say, why do you, you're a Baptist. Why do you talk about the Holy Spirit? Because He is God and He's all over the Bible. And so we're not afraid of him. We love him. We invite his presence. Um, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all speak a lot about the Spirit, as does the book of Acts. But interestingly enough, of all the four Gospels, Luke by far mentions the pneuma, or Spirit, more than, more than the others. Uh, for example, in the uh, book of Matthew, he mentions the Holy Spirit 19 times, Mark 23 times, John 24 times. But in the Gospel of Luke, he mentions the Holy Spirit 36 times. Now, we know that Luke wrote the book of Acts, and so how many times is the Holy Spirit, how many times is he mentioned in the book of Acts? That would be 70, 70 times. So we get the first introduction to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, which he's all over these 28 chapters, but we are introduced to him in the first chapter in fulfillment of a promise that Jesus made in the Gospels. He said, now I want you to wait. Uh, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. And look at this, but wait, wait for the promise. Now the promise there is a synonym for the paraclete or the Holy Spirit of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And the many times in the theological treatise of the Holy Spirit, John chapter 14 through 16, we'll look at these promises that Jesus said, I'm going to send him. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, Will you at this time 
restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said to them, it is not for you to know chronos or kairos. The Greek word times there is, is chronos. It's where we get our English word chronology or seasons, which is the Greek word kairos, which means epics or melus or eras of time. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know either one of those. The Father has put this in his own authority. But I love this great transition here. It's almost like Jesus has said, let me, let me take you from something you don't know to something you clearly do know. From something that you could speculate and never figure out, by the way, to something that there is no ambiguity whatsoever. Eschatology, yep, you don't know. You don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The end of the world, the end of time, Israel restored. You will reign uh, in the millennial, all of that wonderful doctrine and things. It's coming. You don't know when, but it's coming. But here's what you do know, and I'm telling you very clearly. You shall receive power, dunamis, dynamite, when he, the Holy Spirit, has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. One of the key themes in all the book of Acts is the, this word martyris. It's the Greek word where we translate it witness. And one writer puts it this way. He said, the concept of witness is so prominent in the book of Acts, the word in its various forms occurs some 39 times. 39 times the word witness, the translation of this word martyrs. And you said that sounds a lot like the, the English word martyr. That's exactly right. That's where we get our English word martyr because so many in the early church paid the price of following Jesus with their blood. And so this word transformed and morphed into what we know today as the word martyr. 39 times he says that everything else in the book should probably be seen as subsumed under this rubric or under this one word of martyr or witness. So we're just asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we study His Word today. I hope He inspires you and motivates you, encourages you. I hope you're challenged today. I hope that when you leave the, the church, the premises today, you'll have a smile on your face, you'll have a quick in your step, you'll just have a, a heart that's just beating with joy because you've encountered God today. And some of you need that. Some of you need to have a very powerful moment and encounter with the Holy God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying for you that you would, you would receive that today, that the power of God upon your life in unprecedented ways. So let's continue, first of all, in Jerusalem, Jesus said. In verse 4, he tells them that after he has appeared to them for 40 days, preaching the kingdom of God, he tells them to wait, to wait in Jerusalem. Some translators say that Jesus is actually eating a meal with them in verse 4 to prove that he's not some ghost, he's not some phantom, but that he is the Christ. And he has this glorified uh, body where he can walk through walls and he can still eat food. It's, it's a miracle. And yet he is appearing to them and he's about to give them their last commandment and his commission to them. But before he does that, he says, you need to, you need to wait. In the Gospel of Luke, we see the same thing in Luke 24, 49. 
Jesus said, behold, I send the promise, the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That's exactly what Jesus is reiterating in the book of Acts. Remember, Luke writes this compendium, this this theological, powerful uh, two-volume Luke and Acts, and he records Jesus saying it at the end of Luke, and now he's recording it again for a reinforcement so that we, he can reiterate it, we can be reminded that it is very important, church, it is very important that you wait after these 40 days because Pentecost is coming. After 10 days, the 50th, then the Holy Spirit will come in Acts chapter 2, and we will, we will look at that. You know, oftentimes God before he does an amazing work, he tells us to wait. You know, our culture is a microwave culture. God's culture is a marinating culture. And we would much rather at times not wait, but rush in. And, and by the way, I, I can't imagine what Peter is thinking at this moment. Can you? I mean, Jesus is saying, hey guys, I want y'all to wait. Peter's going, what, wait? What do you mean, wait? I mean, you are alive, and man, I got to get out there and preach the gospel, and I got to go heal the sick, and I got to do all these things that you want me to do. And Jesus says, yes, Peter, you're going to do that, but first you're going to wait. You're going to wait for him to come. Oftentimes, we don't want to wait. We want to help God. We want to rush ahead of God. Sometimes we get behind God, but God wants us to walk in step with him. And so for 10 days, They are going to marinate. They are going to wait. They're going to gather together in prayer. And then the Holy Spirit comes. The promise of the Father. I love this. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take just a few moments, and I want to walk you through some sample text of this theological treatise of the Holy Spirit. It's called pneumatology, if you're interested. It's the study of pneuma, spirit, the study of the Holy Spirit. And let me give you some examples. It's John 14, 16, and 17. First of all, it says, I will pray the Father. And this is Jesus saying, I'm going to pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, a paraclete, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth. He's telling us who he is. Isn't this awesome? This is our God. Our God is an awesome God. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is basic Trinitarian doctrine. He says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and he will be in you five times. Jesus, in reference to the Holy Spirit, uses the pronoun he. He is not an it. He is God. He is the third person of the Godhead, co-existent, co-eternal. He's always been in communion. He's always been in fellowship with the Father and the Son. There He is, our awesome triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are as equal, they are as much God as the other one is God. They are three, they are one, they are one in three. You want me to explain it to you in totality? I can't just go to heaven and you can experience it yourself. But the Helper. Aren't you, guys, we, we're not alone. We have a helper. We have the Spirit of God whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. And he will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. All right, let's move on over to John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, 
He will testify of me. Let me give you one more. John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So the first thing we're looking at today is to continue or to wait for the Holy Spirit. He is coming just as the advent of the second person of the Godhead was born as a babe in Bethlehem almost 2,000 years ago. The third person of the Godhead will make his advent, and he will come in an upper room in Jerusalem. And when he comes, he changes everything. They are endued. They are filled with the power of God. And that's how they are able to go out and to witness and to die for Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Spirit of and living God, he's on them, he's in them, and, and he's working powerfully through them. All right, so that's the, the first one. The second thing is the coming of the Spirit. Ooh, ooh, I like this. Verse 5, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus prefaces this prophetic word about the coming of the Spirit with a historical word about John, John the Baptist. So I want to talk to you today about the two baptisms. Are y'all ready for this? Y'all are like, oh my word, this is sounding mighty Baptocostal. I don't know about it. What, what, what about this Pentecostal doctrine? Let me tell you something, guys. The word Pentecost is not a bad word. <laughs> That's a very biblical word. Old Testament, feast. New Testament, it's in association with the coming of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be baptized? Well, first of all, there's a baptism of John. Jesus talks about this in John 3, excuse me, Luke 3, 16. John answered and saying to all, indeed, I baptize you with water. But there's one mightier than I. He is coming, and he, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to loose, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, John baptized people who came for remission of sins, for repentance of their sins, all right? So he's baptizing them. They are repenting. They are saying, God, we're sinners. Forgive us of our sins. And as an expression, as an outward demonstration of what has happened inwardly in our souls, our souls have been cleansed by Almighty God. And we testify of that. And the way we do it is we go into the water and we're lowered into the water and we're raised up. And that's a beautiful metaphor. It's a beautiful picture of what has happened on the inside. We can't see, we can't see the blood of Jesus cleansing us on the inside, but we can see the water as the person is immersed into it and we're going, that's right. That is a beautiful picture of salvation. The old life is washed away and the new life has come. Listen to this, Jesus, Paul, all the disciples and the early church were all baptized in water as adults, have you? Have you? Well, I, don't, I, I guess. Is, is it important? Yeah, it's important. If Jesus at 30 years of age humbles himself before the Father's will and he allows himself to be lowered into that water, not as a, a symbol of the cleansing of his sins. No, no, that's for us. He is setting the pattern for us to follow. This is how we identify with him. And this is how we say we are Christians, not just by what we say, but we are willing to publicly humble ourselves. And by the way, if you're an adult 
and you have not been baptized, it's because of your pride. It's your pride that keeps you from doing it. And I know there are people in this room, and that's why I'm backing up, because I know you're getting mad at me, and I'm going to keep backing up and get away from you. You have not been baptized biblically. You may have had sprinkled a little bit, or you may have been as a baby, but Jesus was baptized in water. And so was Paul, and so was John. And, and I have seen that every person who really is born again of the Spirit of God, they want to obey God. And one of the first commandments of God is, go make disciples and get dunked, get baptized as a testimony of what I have done in your life. What else are you disobeying God in? You know, baptism is so powerful. When I was saved as a 19-year-old, and I tried not to do this. I tried not to be baptized because of pride, because I'd already been baptized as a six-year-old, had no idea what I was doing, but later on got saved. And, and then the Holy Spirit says, you need, to, you need to go forward. You need to be public. And, and finally I did, and I was like, what took me so long? And I'm so glad and grateful to God that he was patient and allowed me to follow him in, in believers' baptism. <laughs> I think about the good, my good friend, Phil Sheritz. Phil is a wonderful man. I was uh, interim pastor of a church 20 years ago when I was a professor in seminary in North Carolina, and, and Phil would come every Sunday with his wife, Mary. He was a large man, I mean large and in charge. He would make two, if not three of me, and he would sit in the back, and I would preach, and he would look at me like this. He just kind of frightened me a little bit, you know? He just, he just kind of look at me. He wouldn't miss a Sunday. His wife was praying for his salvation, and Phil, finally, after about a year, I remember he comes forward, surrendered his life to Christ, and, and I baptized Phil Sherrits. And I also preached his funeral just a few years ago. But after his baptism and before his departure into heaven, let me tell you what he did. I mean, God radically changed his life. He was a brilliant man. He was an inventor, a scientist. He was very, very gifted. And he took all that ability and he, he gave it over to the Lord. And he took on a country, the country of Belarus. And I was able to go a couple of times, and I saw Phil in action as he, as he wants to lead all the orphans in Belarus to Christ. And there's a beautiful story there. Now his wife, Mary, is carrying on this, on this legacy. He became the chairman of the missions committee in his local church. He became a Bible study teacher for the men in the church. And I saw God do amazing things in his life once he surrendered, once he humbled himself and said, oh God, it's not about me, it's about you. What do you want me to do? God says, get dunked. Okay, I get dunked. I get baptized, and God just, I mean, God did amazing things. I wonder what God could do in your life if you just obeyed God. I wonder what spiritual blessings He has in store, but the dam and the impediment and the obstacle that blocks the blessing and the flow of God is your disobedience. And if you just say, okay, God, I, I get it, I surrender then watch what God would do. Man, this is not a sermon on baptism per se, but let me keep going. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about this. There's a lot of confusion 
And there's a lot of heartfelt belief about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it's very biblical. Jesus said, wait, he will come, he will baptize you. Now, the reference here is to, Luke, is to Acts chapter 2. It is a, an event in time when the Holy Spirit of God came down upon the 120, the early church. And you know he did because what happened after Luke 2, 1 through 4 is Luke 2, 11. All the disciples go out and start witnessing. They start sharing the gospel with people. And then in Luke chapter 2, at the end of that, I think it's 14 through 36, Peter stands up and he is anointed. He is, he is filled with the Spirit of God and he preaches and 3,000 people get saved. So it was an act, an event in time. And there are two interpretations regarding this baptism of the Spirit. First, believers believe, they say, that the experience of the early believers in the upper room is normative for all believers. They say that after you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes upon you in a separate climactic event after your salvation. And I have people like this in my life. I love them. I disagree with them. I love them very much, and they do really believe that after you're saved in a subsequent time, I wrote a whole PhD dissertation on a guy who believed that, who believed that vehemently. And yet when I study the New Testament, I find something entirely different. I don't see that. The second interpretation would go like this, that Pentecost was the advent of the Spirit. It was a unique experience that the believers received because it was His coming. He, he came, just like uh, the nativity, just like the, when Jesus was born. He, he was born one time. He came into this earth. The Holy Spirit came, and He's here. And every time, every time somebody says, Lord, I am a sinner, and I need the forgiveness of God. I need the blood of Jesus to cleanse me from my sin. The Holy Spirit of God is working. He's convicting. He's moving in your life. And when you say, Lord, come in, He comes. Man, He comes into your life and you are immersed. You are baptized. You are filled with the Spirit of God right then, right there. And I'm so grateful to God for that. I'm so grateful that He has come and He has come into my life and He will come into your life. And let me give you some scripture that substantiates this. Romans 8. Uh, verse 9 is, is a wonderful verse. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ is not His. I want you to really look at that. If you don't have the Holy Spirit within you, then you are not His. But you do when you confess your faith in Christ. Let me give you some more Scripture. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God. You are not your own. You, we have been bought with a price. The definitive text, though, is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit we're all baptized. Did y'all see that? By, by the Holy Spirit we're all baptized into the body, whether that is Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we've all been made to drink into the one spirit. And I like what this one writer says. He says, the early church were in the transitional period associated with the birth of the church. In the present age, baptism by Christ through the agency of the Holy Spirit takes place for all believers at conversion. At that moment, 
Every believer is placed into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. At that point, the Spirit takes up His permanent residency in the converted person's soul so that there's no such thing as a Christian who does not have yet the Holy Spirit. Now, having said that, I want to make a statement. I believe in one baptism, but I believe in many fillings. And I think this is where we as Baptists, we, we get off track. Ephesians 5, 18, do not be drunk with wine. Amen. We hear that. Preach it, brother. Don't get drunk. Well, read the rest of the verse for heaven's sake. But be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Don't be drunk with wine wherein is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit of God every single day. I get up and I read the Word of God and I say, Lord, here I am. Fill me, Holy Spirit. I recognize I need to be filled. I repent of all my sins. I request that you fill me, Holy Spirit, and I receive you, Holy Spirit of God. And He does. He fills me. He anoints me. He energizes me. And it's not the caffeine, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, it's not the coffee. It's the Spirit of the living God. He's the one that comes in me and fills me to do the work of God, to live for Christ. Is that why you want to witness to everybody you meet? That's right. Is that how you're an introvert and you can stand up there and you can become this extrovert and preach with, with, it's like it's a different person. Spirit of the living God, that's it. It's not me, it's Him. And when you surrender to Him daily and ask Him to fill you up, I promise you, friend, He'll do some mighty things. He'll make you a strong witness. He will conquer fear. He will overcome the addiction. I don't care what the addiction is, pornography, tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, I don't care what it is. It is no match for the Spirit of God. God can overcome that. You say, you're not preaching like a Baptist, I don't care. I'm preaching like a, like a Bible dude, okay? This is in the Bible. Spirit of the living God. Say, Brother Daniel, give me those four R's one more time. Thank you for asking. I'm going to give them to you. Recognize, repent, request, and receive. Wish I could take credit for that, but my evangelism professor taught me that. Dr. Malcolm McDowell, spirit-filled man, a Baptist theologian. Whew, thank you, Lord. We're on point three. Continue in Jerusalem. And the second thing we looked at is the coming of the Spirit. And the next thing is the confusion of the disciples. And they were confused. And I marvel at this. Jesus and the disciples, they come together for one last meeting. This was before his ascension back to heaven. And he tells them in Luke 24, 50, that they meet Christ at Bethany on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. I can't wait. I'm, I'm preparing the sermon now on the ascension. And just as Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, one day he's going to step back on the Mount of Olives. And he's coming. Friend, he is coming. 
And each day we get a little bit closer to the coming of the kingdom. And if you're like me, you could get very, very fascinated with that. And you could, you, you, you could try to calculate, you could try to figure it out, and that's a good temptation, but it's still a temptation, and Jesus is telling the disciples, come on, time out. This is, this is not your time. This is not the time of the end. This is the beginning. <laughs> and so he says in Luke 22, 29, he says, I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And there's coming a day you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow! There's coming a kingdom. There's coming a day. When the, when the apostles, they, they judge the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, this is a eschatological end times event when Jesus comes and He reigns upon earth. And so the disciples said, so since the Holy Spirit is coming, what else is left? So when are you, is it, is it all about to go down, Jesus? I mean, after He comes, are you coming back? And, and, is, and, and we're going to, we're, you're going to reign here? And, and Jesus is like, hold on, time out, time out. You're getting way too far ahead of yourself. Their understanding of the coming kingdom was correct, but their timing was not. So he tells them, you don't know the times, the chronos, or the seasons, kairos, that the Father has in His own exousia, in His own authority, but you just need to, you just need to hold on, because after the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be very, very occupied. <laughs> you're going to be very, very busy for me eventually. I will come. Jesus said nobody comes. Nobody knows when he comes in Mark 13, 32. Jesus corrected and he revised their thinking. I like F.F. Bruce at this point. He says, from now on, they devoted themselves to the proclamation and service of God's spiritual kingdom, which men and women enter by repentance and faith. There was a guy named William Miller, and he was converted in 1816. He joined a Baptist church there in Lowhampton, New York. Unfortunately, he got into predictions and date settings, and he felt like God told him that Jesus is coming back in 1843. He made that proclamation. His friends, his neighbors, uh, they, they laughed at him. The, the churches, the pastors in the area, they, they publicly denounced him. They said, that is, that is heresy. You can't put a date on the calendar if God doesn't put a date on the calendar. We just have to be faithful and preaching, but something happened. The bank panic of 1837 happened. A mysterious flaming comet flew in the atmosphere, and people were like, wow. And there was this one guy in particular who goes, hey, William Miller is right. Look at these signs and these wonders. And 1843, Jesus Christ is coming again. You better get ready. And 50,000 Baptists believed him. Another one million believers were skeptically optimistic, but they were intrigued with what Winthrop Hudson calls his nimble arithmetic. <laughs> Had some very nimble arithmetic. So guess what happened in 1843? You guessed it. He didn't come. He was greatly dis discouraged. He was excommunicated from the church, and he went on and, 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 and died and, and, and was a very, very sad individual. <laughs> but interestingly enough, some other people came along and said, well, the reason Jesus didn't come the day Miller said is because we're not properly observing the Sabbath. And that's how the Seventh-day Adventist came into creation. Very fascinating, very interesting. 
guys, don't do that. Don't, don't be like the folks I saw in California. They all put their white robes on. They went up to the mountain. They're like, he's coming, he's coming. No, you don't know when. I don't know when, but I do know what, that we are to, we are to preach and we are to live and we are to serve him until the day that he comes. The last thing I want you to look at with me is this command of Jesus. And this really is such a powerful word that God gives us. You notice he begins after he tells them, corrects their misunderstanding in eschatology. He gives them a great word about missiology. He says, but as a conjunction, he's changing their, their thought process, right? They, they're getting all excited about the end time. And, and Jesus wants them to get all excited about this time. He wants them to focus on him and, and the commandment he's about to utter to them. So I was reading this one scholar, and he has like a three-point outline, Dr. Longnecker. Amen. I love that. And, and I liked it so much, I added a fourth. So you see, you got a four-point message for us, Brother Danny, on Acts 1-8? I do. So just bear with me. It's going to go quick. But we've got to look at Acts 1-8. And the first thing I want you to notice with me, and you can jot it down in your outline, is the word person. That the person giving the commandment is none other than the resurrected Lord. He is raised from the dead. He is about to go into the Father's presence, ascension into heaven. But before he does, he utters this commission or this commandment. And by the way, it's in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record their version of what is known as the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. And now here it is in Acts 1-8, but you will receive power. And that's the second word I want you to jot down is the word power. You will receive this dunamis power of God. He's the helper. He's the paraclete. He's the one that's going to come down and and when he does, you're, you're going to be changed and you're going to be baptized in him and filled with him and, and you're going to be motivated. And I wonder, I wonder today, the reason we don't live for Christ the way they live for Christ is because we're not filled with the Spirit of Christ. If we were filled with the Holy Spirit and more interested and concerned about the things of God than we were about sports and dating, and other peripheral things. And by the way, I like sports, and uh, I love dating my wife, and that's all good and fun. But listen, if we were consumed with Him, and we were just filled with the Spirit of God, and we looked at every person that we meet, do you know Christ? Do you have a relationship with Him? How can I encourage you? How can I witness to you? You say, but I don't I can't do that, Brother Danny. I've tried to do that. I can't do that. And you know what? You're right. You can't, but God can. God can do it through you. But do you want God to do it? Do you want God to use you to be a witness for Christ? I mean, somebody who's on fire for God. I mean, somebody that walks into the office on Monday morning, glory to God, and you got... You just got Jesus, he's all over you, and he's just oozing out of you onto everybody else. Do you want that? Do you want to be in the neighborhood, and you walk in the dog, and people just want to come up to you, and you just, you just love on them, and you just pray over them, and, and you're a light and a beacon and a witness for the glory of God in your neighborhood. Come on, teenagers. Come on, students in college and university. You step 
foot on your campus and the spirit of the living God is in you and he speaks through you because you have not been contaminated and you have not been absorbed with pornography, which almost every male that you know in school is on it. And they're watching it and they're looking at it. And I just want you to know something, the Spirit of God is not associated with that. The Holy Spirit will not lead your eyes to look upon some naked woman. I'm telling you, that's not of God. The Holy Spirit will put your eyes on Jesus and he will so fill you that you'll want to tell everybody about him. But do you want that? Many don't. I want it. Man, I want it. I want to be filled. I want to be, I just want to be so enamored and just overwhelmed by the Spirit of God that he would, ooh, man. Since he's coming, since he's coming, would you want to be looking at something like that and Jesus come again? No, I'm serious, guys. I want to say 70% of you are watching it. I mean, guys in the church is the, is the stats I read. Would you want to be looking at something and Jesus Christ come again? I mean, oh, heavens no. When he comes, and I, want to, I just want to be filled with him and telling people about him and living for him. You say, yeah, but that's good for you. You're a preacher. Don't, don't, don't tell me that. The Spirit of God that lives in me is the Spirit of God who lives in you, and he can anoint you and give you power to overcome every single temptation in this world. But you got to want him. You've got to desire him. You've got to say, Jesus, I give you everything in my life. It's not my life, God, but it's yours. Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. And, let, and, and I will watch you fall prey to every temptation just like the world. When he moves, when he comes, he changes everything. The power, the dunamis of God. The next word is the word passion. And this is the thing I think we miss more than anything. The reason the early church exploded in growth and the reason we don't is because of the passion of the church. Passion, martyress, die. That's passion, is it not? Be a witness for him. Be willing to die for Jesus Christ. Man. Do you want him? Do you want him? If you do, he will come. He will fill you. The devil has tricked you into believing. The liar he is, that what he has to give you is better 
and what Jesus has to give you. And that is the lie. Because what God gives is life. And God gives joy. And God gives a freedom of conscience. Listen, if you do something, you sleep with somebody, if you're engaged in some kind of behavior and it's, it's, it's not of God and you feel convicted and you, you feel like that's not right, that's the Holy Spirit. And I, I fear, I fear that you will keep going down the path you're on. You'll get to the point you no longer feel bad about it and that's a dangerous place to be. And God removes himself. And you have a reprobate mind and you go on practicing this idolatry and whatever sin it is, and you're distant, distant from God. I, I, don't, I don't want you to go that way. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God every day, every day. Filled with His person, with His passion, and, and with His power. And, and the last thing is just this program. In Acts 1-8, he gives, he gives the outline. He says, we're gonna start in Jerusalem, we're gonna go to Judea, Samaria, and then we're gonna go all over the earth. Come on, Great Hills Baptist Church. It starts in Austin. Then it goes to the far reaches of Liberty Hill, Texas. Amen. The only place you can afford to buy a piece of property these days. But anyhow, go to Liberty Hill. Go to Texas, great state of Texas. Go to North America. And then go to Eastern Europe. Go to South Asia. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to do by the power of God. We're really trying to be filled with His Spirit and obey his commandments so that we look as much like Jesus and the early church as we possibly can. Because when he comes, and when he comes, we'll be so ready. Oh, we'll be so ready. And he comes. Man. I just want to help you get ready. Some of you need to get baptized. Just get over your pride. Get in the water. Just jump, jump in. And some of you, you're like, and, and I get this, and I want to say something about this, and I'm going to go just a minute over. You said seven, exactly, brother, pastor, reverend. Okay, seven, over. Some people... They come to me and they say, well, I was saved, I was biblically baptized, but I want to get baptized again. And some of you get a little upset with me because I won't baptize you. Because I believe once you're genuinely saved and you've been baptized in water, understanding what you did, you, you don't need to do that again. Now, if you're like me and like this precious lady from South Korea, you, you have no understanding, no idea, you're like, made no difference. I mean, I... Then, then talk to us. Talk to some of our pastors. Let us, let us help you with that. But here's, here's what some of you, here's what some of you are trying to tell me. You're trying to tell me God is working so powerfully in your life, you, you don't know what to do. You say, well, I guess I'll just get baptized because God's working in my life. And I know, I know this is the case for some of you because I talk to you and I look at you and I say, the Spirit of God is in you. He's working on you. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Am I supposed to get baptized again? Am, am I supposed to seek some, some heavenly gift? No, no. You just may need to say, I just publicly rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of you would do that. 
if one of these days old brother Danny had a had an invitation where we would just say, anybody want to read? Anybody want to rededicate your life? Anybody here want to say, I, man, I want this power, I want this victory in my life. I'm not experiencing everything that God has for me, and I'm, I'm willing to publicly, I'm willing to publicly say, Jesus Christ is my King, my Lord, my Savior, and all. I've already accepted Him, I've already been baptized. I'm just making a statement, and I'm going to let everybody in here know that I'm not ashamed, and I'll just, I'll just stand, and I'll just publicly rededicate my life to the Lord. I remember Billy Graham did that. You say, excuse me? Yeah, Billy Graham, Birmingham, Alabama, 1964, re rededicated his life. Do y'all know where I'm going with this? If Billy Graham, for heaven's sake, could rededicate and so can I, and so can you. It's something to think about. So what we're going to do is we are going to have our invitation, and we're going to have the altars be open. You may just want to come. You may want to pray. Some of you are fighting some battles. Oh, my word, my word, I know. This is how I fight my battle. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Y'all like that? Michael W. Smith. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, Jesus, and by your people. Would y'all stand with me, please? Let's just go ahead and stand and let's pray together. We'll have our invitation. Band's going to come. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, son? You may just want to publicly rededicate your life to the Lord. Amen. I'd, I'd love to hear about it. Some of you are asking the Holy Spirit of God to fill you. You've quenched and grieved Him for so long. You, you don't have, you have Him in you, but you don't have the manifestation of the power living through you. God will use weak vessels. He just doesn't use dirty vessels. God will use weak vessels. He just will not use those who are obstinately proud looking at things they shouldn't look at, dabbling in things they shouldn't. When you release that, you let that go, my, my, my. Watch what God, watch what God will do. Listen, some of you, <laughs> who always get nervous when this happens to me. The spiritual gift of prophecy that I have, I, I, it, I, it doesn't come on me, but once ever so often, and it's on me right now, and I'm gonna tell you something today. It's your day. And if you don't let it go today, then I'm fearful for you. And you know who you are. I have no idea who you are. But today is the day. You got to let that go. You said, Brother Danny, I can not. It's got a hold on me. Let me tell you something. Jesus is enough. He is strong enough. So, Spirit of God, would you, would you release, would you release them? God, would you break the power of canceled sin? Would you set the captive free? Would you break the addiction and the bondage, Lord, of pornography? It's rampant, Lord. It's rampant, epidemic, dastardly disease upon our land. God, would you take it from our men and our women? God, fill us. Oh, God, fill us. 
with the Holy Spirit of God that we want Jesus more than anything. No, Terry, won't you just, just sing, brother? We're just going to pray. We're going to do business with God as you, as you come. You may just want to come now. You may just want to kneel at this altar. And I say, God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.